Welcome to the Oxford Psychiatry Podcast Series, brought to you today by Daniel Morn. I'm an advanced trainee in uh, psychiatry at Oxford Deanery. I'm here today with Francis Gipfergunst. He's a DPhil student at the University Department of Psychiatry, and he's working in the social psychiatry group. So Francis, thank you very much for joining us here today. Maybe we can start with um, what you do in the social psychiatry group. Okay, thanks, Dan. Um, so I joined the social psychiatry group in uh, early 2012 and initially assisted as a, a research assistant, uh, primarily on the OCTED trial, which is a trial of community treatment orders, and uh, then later applied to uh, start a, a DPhil or a PhD, and I've uh, been doing that for the last 18 months, and uh, that works ongoing. Right, so you started your DPhil, but maybe it'd be helpful just to go back a bit and just look at what you've, um, well, what you've done to get yourself here. So what, what's your background? Okay, so, um, well, I worked initially for four years before I, I started my undergraduate degree. Um, other than a brief stint as a rock climbing instructor, I worked m- primarily in, in, in healthcare. Uh, initially working with children with learning disabilities, then uh, with young adults with uh, mental health problems and uh, some sub- substance misuse history, and then later on with older adults with, with also with learning disabilities. And then I started my undergraduate degree in psychology and uh, got very into the research uh, side of things, um, got very excited about that, um, and then went on to uh, work as a research assistant and also did a, a master's uh, in, in psychiatric research. And my main research interests have have, have really been uh, clinical psychology and psychiatry. Um, and more, more, more recently, I've become interested in, in broader public health challenges, things like uh, obesity and uh, looking at things like the health benefits of tackling like climate change, for example. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so let's move on to looking at what you're doing now. You said you're doing a DPhil. Um, you said you're working alongside this randomised control trial into community treatment orders. So maybe you can just give us a uh, a brief outline of, of, of what, what the details are of what you're doing. Okay, so what I'm doing is uh, this uh, community treatment order trial was uh, designed to test the effectiveness of, of uh, so-called community treatment orders, which is uh, supervised community treatment um, restriction under the Mental Health Act while people, while patients uh, with severe mental illnesses uh, reside in the community. And I'm following up a subsample from the study, um, about 120 patients, um, four years after they entered the trial. And I'm looking at whether there's an association between the amount of time that these patients have spent under um, what we call compulsion or uh, coercion, and that is either hospital uh, compulsion, so involuntary detention in hospital, or community compulsion in the form of community treatment orders or supervised community treatment. And I want to explore whether there's an association between this kind of compulsion and social outcomes. Uh, And social outcomes can be thought of things like whether people have work, whether they're able to uh, live independently, meet socially with friends, uh, have meaningful activities and so on. Well, presuming um, that they're under a community treatment order, they're probably at the more severe end of the of the mental illness spectrum with, with maybe multiple comorbidities. So um, it's quite hard to get that, um, well, and the social outcomes for, the, for them um, to be maybe realistic because getting a lot of these people back into work uh, might be, um, well, quite a hard challenge. Have you found any 
Any good results so far about about the social outcomes of these patients? Or? Um, I think um, the data that I've looked at so far uh, haven't uh, produced anything conclusive. I think it's difficult to say right now that it is, it is true that these patients with uh, chronic psychotic out, um, illnesses, primarily schizophrenia, um, do have uh, poor clinical and social outcomes. Social outcomes in the long term uh, are not good for this, this patient group. They're very unlikely to get back into work, get into competitive employment. Many of them don't live independently, um, and many of them have very limited social networks. Um, so I think overall what, 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 I, what I'm seeing so far is that there isn't actually that much change uh, over the course of the, of, of the four years. So their social situation, when they were recruited to the trial, uh, hasn't really changed very much over the, the four-year follow-up. Well, that's an interesting result uh, about community treatment orders not impacting on social outcomes. What kind of things could mental health services do to improve social outcomes? Is there any evidence around at the moment that, 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 uh, that demonstrates improved social outcomes that, from mental health services? I think uh, broadly the concept of, of social inclusion might be helpful. Um, social inclusion, or in, in, inclusion is a way of uh, thinking about disadvantage. And when we think about people with severe mental illnesses, something that's very striking is how disadvantaged these people are in all kinds of different ways. Um, so, for example, getting people back involved in employment um, it gives them something constructive to do, it gives them a sense of purpose, uh, it increases their social networks. Um, so there's all kinds of advantages. I think uh, in terms of what we know from the literature, um, IPS, for example, uh, which uh, tries to get uh, people with severe mental illnesses back into employment, uh, has been actually shown to be very effective. Um, yeah, individual placement support has been, uh, has been positive, hasn't it? And the whole recovery agenda... This the STAR recovery um, plan yeah, yeah. has been integrated quite well with mainstream mental health services. Yeah. So it's, it's moving towards the recovery agenda that you yeah. think will help mental health services yeah. mm-hmm. um, uh, well, uh, improve their, the social outcomes of the patients and their services. Is that, is, that what you, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I think broadly that's, that uh, the, 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 recovery, the, the recovery model speaks quite strongly to that. Um, okay. Let's go back to your default. What you, you've told us about maybe some of the broad potential outcomes of, of your of, of your um, data set, but what, what what impact do you think this is going to have on services? Well, I think um, trying to better understand the, the uh, relationship between the use of compulsion in psychiatry and social outcomes is very important because uh, compulsion is extremely widely used uh, in virtually every country in the world uh, in some kind of form, um, either in hospital or community settings. So I think we really need a better understanding about how uh, this kind of treatment uh, is affecting patients, not just clinically, but also in terms of their social situation. So we're actually doing very serious things by com- well, uh, involuntary um admitting patients and and I guess what you're saying is that uh, part of our duty as mental health services is to re- restore the social capital um, of these patients and I, is, there, is there anything about this this compulsion which you think 
could potentially lead to improved social outcomes? Do you think there's there's something more that we could be doing as mental health services? Well, I think uh, from the literature, that in the literature, there's quite mixed views on that. This, on the one hand, the perhaps the the, the the more sort of traditional standard view that uh, the use of compulsion is, of course, in the patient's best interests. That detaining them will lead to some kind of social, a clinical and social benefit for the patient, even if they don't recognise that at the time. Um, but there's actually not that much evidence to support that view. And on the other hand, you've got people, for example, from the recovery movement who are arguing that, in fact, uh, the use of compulsion is um, creating negative experiences for these patients and actually, in the long run, it's going to push them away from services um, and by increasing uh, the things like stigma. Um, and um, yeah. So it seems so like you're actually saying that compulsion may be something that we need to move on from in, in mental health services or maybe something we need to avoid at all costs uh, I think it's probably a necessary evil to some extent I think it's very unlikely that there will ever be a situation where we can completely uh, remove com- compulsion from uh, mental health treatment uh, but I think we have to think very carefully about uh, when it's appropriate uh, and what the likely benefits are. So, for example, if we go back to social uh, social outcomes, uh, we're using social we're using compulsion because we think it leads to some clinical benefits, and there's some evidence to support that, but we really don't know how it affects social outcomes. Yes. and that's that's a problem because we're using it um, based on the assumption that it will lead to benefit, but we don't actually know that it does, and that's of course problematic. Um, so, I think. Uh, we need to, because it's such an invasive uh, social legal intervention that really limits an individual's freedoms, we need to think very carefully about how, how we use it, when we use it, why we use it. Francis, it's been very interesting to talk to you today. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you listen to more of our podcast series. Thank you. Goodbye. Thanks.